City, City Limits. Limits. Brought to us by the People's Committee for Melbourne every Wednesday at 9am. City Limits is Melbourne's only hour devoted to our urban environment. To transport and planning and housing issues. To privatisations and our utility services. To building and or maintaining a sense of community. 855 on the AM band if we can hear it through the noise and find it through the smog. City City Limits. Limits. Headphones, please. Right. Start, show opens with John McPherson appealing for new Throwing, headphones. Corey Green about to introduce us. Come on, Corey. Away we go. Oh, you're listening to City Limits on 3CR 855 AM. Um, I'm Corey. We've got Kevin Healy here. We've got John McPherson. Must be Transport Week. Transport Week, first Wednesday of the month. And we're going to... Um, we're also going to play a 12-minute interview that was on one of the shows. Some people might have already heard it on a program last week, which in fact follows on very much from our interview with Pam Morgan last week about growing food locally, etc., etc. And uh, this one's about uh, growing food locally, but also f- uh, subsidising food to refugees, particularly those on bridging visas who have stuff all in their kicks, mm. and they get uh, highly subsidised food. And the, the idea is, well, well, it's in the interview, but um, you'll hear, but it does ask people to help out as well. But Corey can introduce that because she's got it off the thing and she knows the details much more than I do. But that'll be coming up shortly, and it's a 12-minute interview. You don't want it right now? No, we'll play it. Uh, well, we can have it right now, then we could talk up till... No, I want to play it at a point where John starts to get nervous. So let's right. play it at about quarter past. I don't know, yeah. he's looking pretty nervous I'm already. Yeah, pretty but, nervous, but he'll look more nervous by about 25 past when it's still going, so all that's right, a good idea. Right. Okay. Yeah. But then uh, I'm probably throwing the headphones down in the best <laughs> studio. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, no, we've got to get you nervous, John. We can't have you just freezing through the show. <laughs> look, uh, a couple of things I wanted to raise. Well, do you want anything to raise first? Well, can I cough? I could give a really you want tremendous, a terrifying cough into the microphone. No, I've no okay. Yes. Yesterday you mentioned you wanted to raise something about the Adam Good situation. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, you want to talk about that? Yeah, well, you know, you've probably got more more informed opinions on that than I've got. Oh, not necessarily. (laughs) (laughs) I was just trying to flip past it to you, Kevin. You would take it. Well, I'm I'm happy to. I'm happy to, but I I thought you did mention it yesterday. I did did mention it yesterday. You want a cup of tea, by the way, John? I'll pour one while we're doing this. Look, a couple of. Well, I I think there's been a couple. I mean, people know, and I'm sure people listening to this program Mm. wouldn't be. Suggesting it's anything but uh, but you. racist, but um, I thought there were two quite good comments made, mm. um, and um, one of them was by Nova Perris, who yes. um, who has been you know quite strong. I've picked when she was in Melbourne, she used to always be in the NADOC marches, etc. When you went along to those. Mm. With her kids, I'm not that happy that she's gone into the Senate, I must admit, but nonetheless, her comment was... Um, well, she's been a public... She knows what it's like to be a public figure in black yeah, and she certainly, for a long time. Yeah. And she certainly fights for her people. And yeah. um, When you want change, it takes tremendous guts and leaders like Adam Good. She said, he said enough is enough, but when, we, when he spoke out, the world said, get back to your box, mate. You cannot stand up and use this because you're Australian of the year. Hmm. Um, she said, you can only move... She said, the wounds of the past, such as the stolen generation and the intervention, was still raw. You can only move forward when you acknowledge the truth. And right now, this country has a problem with Aboriginal people. 
Every time we come out and tell our story, it's like, shut the book, we don't want to deal with it. She said her mother and grandparents were taken from their families and her grandfather had chains around his goddamn neck. But Aboriginal people still had to justify themselves to the rest of the country when talking about Australia's past. This government needs leadership when you get people like the Andrew Bolt through the head, well, that's my Bolt through the head, but she said she used his name, of the world who say the stolen generation is a myth. That's bullshit. It happened and it's real. We have to learn what happens in this country. And then Noel Pearson makes some ridiculous little comment. But the other one I wanted to raise was the footballer Travis Barker, who mm. um, who played for a couple of, couple of premierships for Geelong and knocked off Collingwood in 2011 and now plays for Collingwood. But he said last week, it's disappointing, it doesn't just affect him, there are so many people that get hurt by this, I feel hurt by this, I hope the issue sorts itself out and his reputation doesn't get tarnished, he's done a lot for us as a people and for the game and I hope that's the legacy we remember. We've come a long way but we've still got a long way to go and... Um, on the Mangrook Footy Show last week, Chris Johnson, um, triple premiership player at Brisbane, and also Gilbert McAdam, ex and Kilda, and a bit, bit of Brisbane as well, both said the same thing that it, mm. it, they feel hurt by it as Aboriginal mm. players mm. themselves. And um, mm. you know, I think that's the important thing. Yeah, it, I mean, it is astonishing the way that that, that commentary that um, seems to to float around the Murdoch papers. Um, you know, continues the line that you know there was no such thing as a stolen generation. It's all a myth. It's all completely mythical. And then they're surprised when football fans are racist. Oh, they're not. Well, they don't. I don't think they are racist. That's the thing. Oh. <laughs> they weren't being racist. Indeed, that's like people like Dermot Breton and Jason Akamanis who say, you know, everyone gets booed, mm. just cop it. Mm. Uh, now, changing the rules thing, you know, he, he fades for freeze. Well, Jesus, they had to change the rules for Kevin Bartlett. They've changed the rule this year because people were ducking their heads to get free kicks. Mm. Mm. Um, mm. The, the, and then they, then they say that I mean, only. Kevin Bartlett was as close to a white god as a footballer. That's right, ever came, that's, yeah. that's right. And there might, be, um, there might be little bit of racism, but there's other issues that are non racist, like being called an ape and reacting to a 13 year old girl. Mm. Once he learned she was 13, he actually said, mm. I'm sorry, but you know, mm. it's her environment, not her. Mm. I don't blame mm. her, which mm. is, um, they just ignore that bit. Mm. And the other one they say is that as Australian of the year, he raised first. People issues, etc. So um, now I, I keep did, asking. Did anybody think he wouldn't? I mean, well, yeah, just you know, cop it and thank the whites and shut up. But um, I just wonder. I keep saying to myself, which bit of reacting to being called an ape, yeah. or speaking on Aboriginal issues as Australian of the Year, yeah. is not racist? Because they they, they say mm. that's that's not racist to uh, hate him for that. Mm, mm, mm. No, it's it's it's. Um, it, I mean, I think I think by definition. They're really saying that by definition, anything they say or think can't possibly be racist. Well, you have the yeah. oppressor defining what oppression is, which is, you mm. know, always, oh, not what I'm doing. No, no, oh. no, no. Certainly not. No, well, that, that, well that's, 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 that's very true. That's exactly what was happening with the um, a few weeks ago with, um, well, oh, yes, when the, the Cabinet Minister, which one was it? Um, uh, the Attorney General, I think, was saying, you know, oh no, it's all right. You know, I should be allowed to um, call anything, anybody, anything I like. That's free speech. So that's part of it, isn't it? They think yeah. they're, they're just it's indulging in free speech. Yeah. Let's hope at Geelong next Saturday it does settle down. It'll be interesting. Hope, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. but no, I uh, I think it's partly too. It's tall poppy. It's tall poppy syndrome reversed, because he's a black tall poppy. Um, 
Mm. And, Eddie's, and, Eddie and, has and, reacted black to the racist black issues. Black talk yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know. Should I use throw the word black around because I hear hear am I very white? Um, Perhaps Aboriginal. All right. Okay. Indigenous tall poppy. Um, I think I think there's an element of that that he he is um, feels able and quite quite has every right to. I mean, he does have every right to. Um, you know, state his opinions as firmly as he wants to, mm. but it is almost as if that turns him into some sort of tall poppy. But that, but then, particularly because he's an indigenous tall poppy, that that's that's uh, makes it very easy to resent him. Yeah, and but that being the case, if he does so, then say I I regard it as racist, mm. then it is racist. But mm. a lot of people mm. are saying that. I mm. think that's mm. logically so. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, but it, no. I mean, it has has been interesting the um, the level of support from the sort of the general um, what would you call it the more the slightly more sane elite levels of society, so called elites. I don't want to really call them elites. Um, but that's that's been interesting that there has been the people did line up behind well, him. Mm. Yeah. Mm, behind him. Yeah. I've noticed, like, even on the left, you know, you'll say something's bigoted and a person will be like, oh, you just misinterpreted it, you know, oh, that's not what I meant. And, you know, I feel like, you know, what you mean mm. is maybe a little bit less important than the actual impact that your words have. Anyway, just a thought. Yeah, and on a related matter, we mentioned last week, mentioned a couple of times recently, the government attempting to sell off that Ballot Maroop um, school up at Glenroy, the ex-Indigenous um, school. Mm. And there's been a campaign to save it. Um, on the positive side, the Education Minister Molino, this week he's obviously being moved by the campaign. He said he was aware of the cultural importance of it and was committed to preserving the site for community use. But there's a campaign, ironically, organised by the local Murdoch rag, um, which is asking people to, to uh, making their voice heard, email state and local leaders demanding they negotiate in good faith, etc., etc. So hopefully that will mm. end up being a bit of a victory. Um, one I just want to raise, apparently, uh, or not apparently, the Financial Review in an article about the ALP conference um, arguing that unions still run it, etc., but Kim Carr, the great lefty whom we mentioned last week, I think I mentioned it last week, uh, was in Shorten's ear ensuring as a great lefty that Shorten got the numbers in sending the boats back. Mm. Um, he objected to the fact that the article said he was a member of the Centre Unity Group. Uh, and Kim's written a letter to the Financial Review, uh, most upset about this. She says, I remain a member of the ALP socialist left faction as I have always been. I am aware that some in the media think of Labor's factional ailments as a mystery of Byzantine complexity, but it is really not that difficult to check, etc. Mm. And I thought, well, Kim, the mistake wouldn't get made if even just very occasionally he'd said something that sounded just remotely left. <laughs> Don't you think? Mm. Like here's a man whose only public expressions I've heard recently are that he got out and supported Shorten on sinking the, on sending the boats back. Yeah. And his main campaign as minister for over years was to give more and more money to the car companies. That's terrific. Well, it's really hard to tell who's who in the ALP. I mean, they all seem to be pretty right-wing. 
Well, they all seem to be further to the right than they actually profess to be, put it that way. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, they, they become left again when they retire, you'll notice. Well, oh, when not, they're in opposition? Not Martin oh, Ferguson. Yeah, yeah, but they're in opposition now and they're not sounding too left. Mm. Martin Ferguson a problem there. sounding very left. No, I missed it this morning because, I, as I said, I come on public yeah. transport, had to leave. But after 8 o'clock on Radio National... Yes, I heard it. Mm. Did you hear it? What, what, what did he say? Again? Oh, well, he was, he was all in favour of um, changes to... Um, um, Worker, worker, worker um, deals. You know, um. he supports the 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 penalty rate cuts and. Well, yeah, but of course he he puts it he puts it in he, what he says he's arguing for is um, an increase in the normal rate per hour, but not, but then no no loadings on the weekends. Oh, good on him because he. He says from- he's organised something like that with the Hilton Hotel Group or something or other, and he was. In power, running oh, the running right, union or something yeah, like that. Good man. He, he. Uh, apart from being, of course, a spokesperson now for the resource industry, yes. he's now emerging as a spokesperson for the tourism industry as mm. well. He's got all these hats, poor old Marty. But anyway, he, yeah, he came out the other week attacking the, uh, the, uh, the, 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 the terribly crippling conditions and wages that workers had in the tourism industry. It needed to be sorted out. Oh, that's yeah. grim. Yeah, Corey, you you would study these things because. Um, at your age, you're up. Yeah, you might. Have. Did you ever work as a student or something in cafes and things and penalty rates? Yeah, I've worked um, a million crappy jobs. Yeah, right. So you, so penalty rates, you realise must be must have been hurting your employer when you were getting them. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't think I ever got them. Oh, <laughs> oh, well, that solves that problem. That's right. They don't pay them anyway. Yeah. In hospitality, you don't even get minimum wage half the time. Yeah. yeah. In fact, I would say eighty percent of the time you don't get minimum wage. I mean, let alone you know penalty rates. Mm. That's just a joke. The employers will do anything that they can get away with, and that's just about anything. And um, yeah, my experience is if you uh, try to unionise in a workplace. Well, I, I remember ringing up the um, the MISOs, United Voice now. Being all like, oh, I'm not being paid minimum wage. And they're like, oh, well, if you organise in the workplace, you'll probably get fired. And I was like, oh, thanks for that. Mm. Cancelled my membership straight away because uh, couldn't be uh, bothered with that sort of advice. Don't really need to ring someone to uh, hear that. <laughs> anyway, I tried to organise in my workplace and they were right. I got fired. Mm. Um, yeah, but no, I mean, the worst, uh, the worst I've been paid was Hungry Jack's. Um, that was when I was it was about 15 years ago now, but it was about five dollars an hour. Oof. You couldn't even afford a um, a whole one of those meals on <laughs> on an hour's work. <laughs> and then on top of that, they would clock you um, off early and make you keep working. And you're like you cheap bastards. And then on top of that, if you didn't pay attention, they would always somehow mistakenly um, underreport your hours. On top of that. Um, Yes. Cool. Inadvertent, that, always inadvertent. Yeah, and they never overreported your hours. No, it's, it's also inadvertent. <laughs> yeah, I, I was never, um, this is when I was quite young, I was never brave enough to stand up and say, you haven't given me enough, you know, for the hours I worked. Cheap, cheap bastards. Um, but yeah, there was one of my mates who did, and every week she'd have to go and be like, I work this many hours, here's the roster, you have to pay me this. But she had to do it every week. They didn't, you know, 
Yeah. It's ridiculous. Yeah, I was wondering because because uh, the government says that it you know intention it you know until after the next election etc. But in that case, why did it bother to pass all these this this onto the Productivity Commission and give them the terms of reference, which have led to what's come out? And also, I've been looking. I, you might have been looking as well, but I'm just they're talking about all these cuts they've recommended for workers' wages and conditions. Where have they recommended that workers get more somewhere or get better conditions? Anything in there? About <laughs> also, you've got to talk about the casualized of the workforce because a lot of this stuff is theoretical like if anybody was working on a salary or was working Mm. full or part-time you know then they might be getting sick days or whatever but you know most people are on short-term contracts as casuals being paid less than what you know you're meant to be paid more as a casual to make up the fact that yeah. yeah yeah so being paid less than you're supposed to be paid you know fired at a moment's notice um yeah, you know, ringing up, oh, can you do this shift right now? <laughs> no, I have, you know, I actually have things to do. Uh, yeah, it's, yeah, the conditions are appalling. Um, yeah, and even even when I worked for the government, I got fired for being sick. They literally said that. But I was on a contract, so there was nothing I could do, and I was sick. Mm. Um, yeah, no, it's really full on. Yeah, well, it's, uh, I think it's going to be one of the big fights coming up, and Let's hope the unions and... I mean, I think we're one of the most casualised Western countries. Yeah. If not the most casualised, yeah. I mean, your generation, you know... We've had it so good, yeah. You got got a a free education and then straight away, you know, you could get a job and the job would actually have proper conditions. And I know, you know, people before you fought for that, but it seems like then when your generation got in power, it was just like taking all those things away from us. Thank you. Thank Hawke and Keating because they were they were the Hawke, Keating, Kelty and Co were the accord with the beginning of unions going downhill and not fighting for those things and and in fact they reached the stage where every time they wanted a wage rise they had to give up conditions yeah. to get it I mean they so all they virtually gave away all conditions that are being won over all that period mm. yeah. and Let's they go, gutted yeah, um, manufacturing as a result yep that's right. Um, anyway. Let's go to that first in, bit of an intro, Corey, because you know what it's about. Oh, it introduces itself. Oh, does it? Okay. Yeah. All right. The Food Justice Truck is an award-winning mobile fresh food market, enhances food security for asylum seekers within Victoria, and offers also locally sourced produce, in, including fresh fruit, vegetables, grains, and many other really wonderful food. It's also a social enterprise initiative by the Asylum Seeker Resource Centre. Jesse Ann had a chat to Patrick Lawrence from Food Justice Truck, and she has more about the initiative. The Asylum Seeker Resource Centre are officially launching a new initiative called the Food Justice Truck this Wednesday, 12th of August. The truck will offer locally sourced produce to asylum seekers at a 75% discount and at market rate prices for the general public. So here to tell us about it is Patrick Lawrence, who is the Director of Humanitarian Services at the Asylum Seeker Resource Centre. Welcome, Patrick. Thank you, Jesse. It, it, my job title is a little bit of a mouthful, so you did find <laughs> that. had to uh, double-check if, if we are going to be completely honest, which we are. <laughs> um, so... First of all, a 75% discount um, is a massive thing. So can you tell us what kind of challenges asylum seekers in Melbourne are facing when it comes to, to you know, 
requiring enough food to eat? Is, how much of an issue is this? Yeah, well, that's obviously a very logical place to start, and that's where all our motivations come from. So at the Asylum Seeker Resource Centre, we've been in operation for 14 years, so we have a whole lot of knowledge and understanding of the food security issues for asylum seekers. And... Uh, the, the food was actually the reason the ASRC came into being. Its very first program was to run a food bank. Yeah, okay. So we focus our energies at the ASRC. There are 11,000 asylum seekers in uh, Victoria, approximately. The department doesn't give us precise figures. Uh, department of Immigration and Border Protection. Um, and surprising. we work with approximately 1,600 asylum seekers on a on a weekly basis at the ASRC. And we've focused our attention on those who are most destitute, and that particularly includes people with no income at all. So there are very many people who uh, are not getting any kind of support from the department, they don't, they're not eligible for any kind of Centrelink payment, they have no work rights, they have no study rights, they're completely destitute and have absolutely no income. So for that group and some others on low income, we run a food bank at the SRC and we've been running that for 14 years now and it does a lot of fabulous work. It uh, provides nearly all the groceries for the week for about 550 asylum seekers every week. And one day I was uh, telling the boss about how, how well that was going back when I was the food bank manager. And uh, Con, uh, some of your listeners might know Con, he's quite a uh, sort of figure around Melbourne. In, uh, Con cut up on your teeth and he breathed a big sigh and uh, he said, Patrick, what about the others? And I realised uh, that he was talking about the people who aren't able to access the ASRC's food bank because we have our own capacity constraints. And what I can tell you about the others, so people who are seeking asylum in uh, Australia but are not members of the ASRC, is that they have on average about $20 per person per week for food. So a family of three would have, say, $60. Uh, a lot of the people in this group get 89% of the New Start allowance and are generally paying too much, unfortunately, for accommodation because it's very temporary and their, their networks and their opportunities to find longer-term, cheaper accommodation are limited. So with that $20 a week, um, they're, they're really struggling to feed themselves well, and that's one of the, the biggest issues that they face. They're over 90% what we would call food insecure. And we have always identified this as a, as a major, major issue. So I went away and thought about this and brainstormed for a couple of weeks. And we came back with the idea of a fairly unique social enterprise where we leverage the reputation of the ASRC, we leverage the 1,000 volunteers that we have in place at the ASRC, we keep costs down, we have a crowdfunding campaign, we raised $150,000 to buy the truck and to pay for the manager for one year, and we have a model where the general public can shop and subsidise a major discount, as you said, 75%, for people seeking asylum. But the fact that they actually pay as well, that is a very significant part of the financial model. So even if, a let's say we take a 1,000 people, they've only got $20 each, that's still $20,000. And if you leverage that as wholesale expenditure and build in the other factors I just mentioned, hopefully 12 months from now, 
we can have this chat again, Jesse, and I can say, here are the numbers. It's actually financially viable. Uh, but one reason we're very keen to talk to everybody out there is to encourage them to shop at the food justice truck. Right, because one of the questions I was going to ask is how you're going to actually fund this um, moving forward. So that's... Um it sounds like you've certainly got a plan in place there. So Yeah, well, we needed the set-up costs, and that's in the, the crowdfunding campaign with a, a wonderful organisation called Start Some Good who do ethical crowdfunding. So our set-up costs were generated by that, and now we need the, the food justice truck itself to be uh, to more or less break even. Great. So where are you going to source the food from? Well, how are you sort of approaching that? Yeah, so there's a big there's a big accent with with the project on um, fruits and vegetables, uh, and at the moment, 100% of those fruits and vegetables come from a wonderful organisation called Spade and Barrow. Uh, Spade and Barrow source uh, all their fruits and vegetables from Victorian farmers, and in fact, they buy 100% of the crop as well, which is very different to what the major retailers do. They'll purchase the carrots that mightn't be, you know, exactly seven inches long and exactly straight and exactly orange, as well as the ones that are. Uh, and that's a very low food miles proposition for us as well. So all the fruit and veg is local through Spade and Barrow. Uh, we've got other providers for the legumes, pulses, grains. Uh, we get our bread from a wonderful artisan sourdough baker in Fitzroy, uh, Dench Bakeries. And our tea from... Oh, it'll come to me, Jesse, in just a moment. Yep. So the launch, as, as I mentioned, the launch is on the 12th of August. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what's going to happen there? Yeah, well, this is, um, as you mentioned, we've already been operating from um, Footscray Primary School. Or we maybe chatted about that before the interview. Yeah. <laughs> so that was kind of our soft launch. Um, we've been there for two months. But this is officially when we uh, cut the tape or whatever it is that we're going to do. We haven't quite worked that out. Um, it's in the city square. We'll be uh, trading all day in the city square on August the 12th, Wednesday. And the official launch will run from 11 till 12. Claire Bowditch is going to play, donating her wonderful talents. She's a very vocal supporter of people seeking asylum. Nice one. Uh, in Australia. Uh, very vocal about that uh, through social media and other channels and very interested in ethical business as well. Um, Carolyn Creswell will be speaking, who's the founder of Carmen's Muesli and is very active in the human rights space as well. She's on the board of the human rights something something. Can't quite remember the details there, but very vocal on that issue as well. Uh, Nam Kwok will be speaking, who's the mayor of the city of Maribyrnong, which is, includes Footscray, where the ASRC operates. And uh, his family arrived in Australia as uh, boat people from Vietnam, so he's got a very personal experience and a great advocate for uh, better treatment of people seeking asylum in Australia. We're still hoping for some <clears throat> very uh, notable person, who I, I won't name here, but maybe a senior politician, uh, mm -hmm. to, uh, to officially launch it's the trust. Now. But sorry, I'm intrigued now. Yeah. <laughs> oh well, someone like the Premier of Victoria, for instance. <laughs> um, uh, yes, we're, we're we're trying to have a chat um, with uh, with Dan about launching the truck. Also, uh, we'll be operating there. There'll be members of the centre, lots of people who volunteer on the truck, including asylum seeker volunteers, and we're going to make a bit of noise, a bit of music, lots and lots of media there because we need to get the message out there so that uh, asylum seekers know to shop there and but also so that uh, ethical shoppers, the general public, the hipsters, 
know where to find us and that we're a pretty cool place to shop. And so where can people go to find out more information if they want to come along and start uh, doing their shopping with you guys? Very good question. So you can follow us on Twitter, at Justice Truck, or you can go to the ASRC website, which is www.asrc.org.au forward slash food justice. You can shop at the truck on, as of next Tuesday, Thomastown Primary School from 3 till 6 on Wednesdays, starting the Wednesday after the launch at the Wesley Uniting Church on Lonsdale Street in the city. Uh, we'll be launching, launching in Dandenong on Thursdays very soon, but I can't give you an exact time or place for that. Uh, and Fridays at Footscray Primary School from 3 till 6 also. And in the very near future, we'll also be operating from Brunswick, Broadmeadows and maybe Dallas and uh, sunshine so it's all happening yeah that's uh that's a lot of locations actually i didn't really it is, realize yeah. we, it was going to be so we think with the one so just to be clear about those locations so we're in the same places every week right. if it's a school site we're even there during school holidays because people seeking asylum need to know that that we are there for them that's part of what food security is about knowing where your next meal is going to come from uh and so the fridays at footscray Primary school continue uh, in perpetuity. Once we start Tuesdays in Thomastown next week, every Tuesday we're there as well. And we think we can get to seven locations a week with this one truck and then we might have to have a look at another one. Let's hope so. It'll be fantastic. Well, thank you so much for joining us and telling us all about this really amazing initiative. That's a pleasure, Jesse, and I'd be very happy to uh, update you on it any time you want to have me on. Excellent. That is Patrick Lawrence, who is the Director of Humanitarian Services at the Asylum Seeker Resource Centre. She, uh, He talked to Jesse Ann there. Join us for the launch of Green Left Radio, a new wing of the People's Media on 3CR. Featuring a massive lineup of radical beats and rhythms from Ezekiel Ox, Davinia Providentia, New Dub City released the dub's DJ set. Ray Pereira and Kanchana Karnaratna on Afro Lankan drumming system. And Pressure Drop. Friday, August 21st at 7 pm at the Kindred Studios, 212A Whitehall Street, Yarraville. Full bar and Sri Lankan feast available from 7 pm. $15 full and $10 concession. Proceeds go to 3CR and Green Left Weekly. And don't forget, you can catch Green Left Radio Fridays from 8 to 8.30 a.m. on 3CR. So we heard about the food justice truck. And I realized, you know, I was going on a diatribe before. And, and, and I just, I thought of a whole bunch of other things I hate about the workforce now, which is... I hate getting those, like seeing those articles which are like, why are Generation Y the way they are? Why aren't they settling down and having families? Why are they like traveling all over the world? What's their deal? And it's like, who can settle down and have a family? And, you know, you can barely sign a lease when you're on constant two-week contracts. And people I know have been on two-week contracts for like six years. It's crazy. I've just been editing a report about homeless youth in Melton, the Melton area, and that same problem of getting jobs, of uh, 
of, of travel, of public transport, all the things that having no money means the problems you face that, that go beyond just homelessness. That's the you know, that's that's key to it. But yeah, you're right. It's it's all sorts of problems that just people just don't recognise. I mean, if you've only got a two week contract, no one's even going to lend you money to buy a car. Sure, not. But you know, meanwhile, the employers getting everything out of you that they would they would get from somebody who has six or ten years experience. Yeah. yeah. It's All right. bullshit. Yeah, well said. Beautifully put, actually. Beautifully put. Transport. And you raised with me this one as well, Corey, last week. The uh, Where we live, um, we got a... Um, we got a, a thing in the mail informing us, dear resident, they love us, the City Link Tuller widening and um, the, the overseeing authority, which I presume is Vic Roads, said, oh, it's, no, it's whatever it is, Project Director, City Tuller, Andrew Williams. Anyway, John, you'll be pleased to know, and I'm sure, mm. Curry, you would have read this yourself, they, the benefits of this widening are a 30% increase in capacity, easing congestion now, travel time savings. In fact, you'll save 16 minutes in the morning and <laughs> 70 minutes in the afternoon peak from the airport to Westgate Freeway. Well, they used to tell us when they first built it, you could go from the airport to Dandenong in 37 minutes. Remember mm, that, John? They did. Yeah. Yeah, so it must be negative figures now. I think you must arrive in Dandenong before you leave the airport. They've improved it so much. <laughs> when you can fly there that time probably these days. Yeah. Or Rob, you can Rob ca- and Bishop Wood. <laughs> <laughs> or you can catch public transport and get there two hours after you left. That's right. You've got to find the public transport first. Yeah, well, if you're going to the airport, you have to pay for that bloody sky bus. What is that, 30 bucks or something? Yeah, whatever. Ridiculous. Anyway, but it's just, you know, John, it's we know... I mean, it's the old story. We 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 tell them we loosely the our side of the argument tells them this isn't going to work. Congestion's going to build up, mm. and yet here they are saying saying exactly the same things. We were told when all these freeways were built, they yep. were going to be the panacea that would cure all the problems. That's right. But they never they never say that. Well, um, they'll, they'll they'll relieve things for a few years, maybe three four years, but then we'll be back where we started. They they of course never say that. Because the question would then be asked, well, what's the point of spending all these hundreds or billions mm. uh, if that's if that's a, that's the small amount of benefit you're going to get? Emanating from a dual building which is full of engineers whose whole role is to plan and build roads. That's right. And so his only real, you don't do yourself out of a job, do who's you? Exciting, whose only excitement in life is to pour more concrete, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But the other the other problem we face now, John, is that the Vic Roads, in fact, themselves have come out and suggested there are problems with, with congestion. And John Merritt, their current CEO, I don't know how current he's going to be because he's probably mm. last seen bleeding as the engineers attacked him, but he was I quoted reckon, as yeah. saying, you, you can't simply build your way out of congestion. Well, we've been saying that for how long? Oh, about as long as we've been making pronouncements, Kevin, probably yeah. 30 years, yeah. Well, well he, of course, is just... Um, is just um, parroting what um, uh, Newman, you know, Professor Peter Newman's Peter been Newman, saying yeah. forever from from the West that you can't build your way out of congestion with more roads. It just doesn't work. It doesn't even work in Perth, where of course their their congestion problems are, are minor compared with ours or Sydney's. But um, it's um, it's it's still been the case that the thing that's made Perth into a really you know you, nice place to live has actually been. The fact that over the last 25 years they've actually improved their um, electric um, rail-based public transport system mm. considerably. Well, and they're about to build a railway line to their airport. 
I have an interesting story from the age. Exclusive, the six problems ruining Melbourne's rail network. Now, the most interesting bit is in the first yeah. sentence where it says um, that the, the list of weaknesses in Melbourne's rail n- network is so long in fixing it, uh, it's so long that fixing it all would be unaffordable. Mm, interesting. Cool, cool. So what, what do we, they want to close the whole thing down? Uh, what do they mean by unaffordable? Are they talking? That's, uh, that's a very good point. Yeah. I mean, what's the cost-benefit of analysis of having a railway? I mean, surely, yeah, 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 surely yeah. the uh, you know amount you mm. would save on roads would more than make up for you mm. know. I mm. think they mean unaffordable in terms of uh, ticket prices, but the railway roads are you know they're propped up by taxes and as they mm. should be, they're a public mm. service. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean it's it's. Unless there's more detail, unless unless the um, the, the report actually um, you know comes to the surface completely, so you can actually read the detail, it's it's hard to know exactly what that means. Mm. It, uh, I, when I say unaffordable, they're really saying, oh, well, it's it's easier or cheaper just to keep patching things up as we go along. Mm. That's of course what they've done for the last thirty or forty years. Anyhow. Mm. Uh, but they never say that a new freeway is unaffordable. Oh no, no, no. But 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 don't don't forget though that some of the most more modern ones that they're trying to build now, like the East West Link and the West West Connects in mm. Sydney, they don't even meet basic um, cost benefit analysis no, any longer. No. And they're refusing to issue the uh, the, the one for case, the Tullamarine yes. one, the, yeah. the one that. Um, that the, the what do they call themselves transurban mm. have put up and they they're adopting and they mm. they they're only going to make it public when virtually when they sign the contract. Well, that's the Western distributor. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, yeah. I got a letter in the paper about that oh. last week. Yeah. yeah, got a little snide little letter saying, "Well, you know, this is great from you guys who are supposed to be all about um, openness. This is the current government." Yes, and um, no, as soon as they can snuggle up to the um, the road road building fraternity, they're quite happy to. To go into um, denial mode as well. Mm, that was the age we had at front page, and you, yeah, it was. Mm. I mean, yeah, nothing changes. That nothing. Really. I mean, it, I mean, it, you know, and they wonder why people get cynical about politicians. But you'd be pleased to know, oh, moving God. from the age to that 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 absolute wonderful rag journal of in Melbourne, yes, the, 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 like the, the, Herald, the, the Herald Sun, yeah. on your bike is latest advice. Following that thing about the what Vic Roads came out with, the yeah, 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 about yeah. congestion, they yeah. say. The Andrew government has abandoned, this is editorial, has abandoned drivers by its failure to plan any significant road projects for years to come. Not only has the seven-month-old government neglected road users, but a suggestion by Vic Roads that car drivers should try riding a push bike or get a new job is adding insult to injury. It goes on, you'll no yeah, need yeah. to read on. And then another How one. How much whiskey <clears throat> do you think they they imbibe before they write that oh, sort of rubbish? Have so. a fun time, and uh, then yeah, probably was, comes out of the the Murdoch drinks cabinet. Well, then the RACB oh. also came out and said they should be um, in the city. They should get rid of a lot of parking spots and yeah. put, put cars. And they say, oh, and bikes. So in response to that, the Herald Sun came out and said, if people cannot park their cars in the city, they will go elsewhere to shop. And on they go again. So you're going to drive people out of the city if you do that, John. Oh, dear. What do, you, what do you think of the phenomenon? Mm, phenomenon. Phen- mm. Whatever. You got it right. Oh, did I? Yeah. Very good. Um, that I uh, frequently experience on the roads where, um, so the roads are a certain width and it's not enough for both a bike and a truck to pass through at the same time. And then in, uh, in cases where somebody's, Actually, you know, truck drivers seem to be pretty chilled, but in cases where somebody has some like 
rich, oversized SUV, mm. they they seem to be trying to kill you. Mm. Mm. You know, what do you make of that phenomenon? Well, yeah, I think it is part of um, part of you know their they have you know no, um, yeah well you know imagine that imagine the peasant walking in the ditch and the and the the carriage you know with the um, the aristocrat on the road you know and the and the and the um, the coach splashes mud all over the um, the um, peasant walking in the ditch. It's really that it's really thing that has same. happened to me with a modern yeah. car. Yeah, it's really that same phenomenon <laughs> mm. <laughs> uh, where where um, you you um, don't deserve any consideration at all. You know, and in fact, it's it's good for you to be reminded that you're down in the ditch and you should stay there. You know, so they're actually doing you a service by by splashing some mud on you or frightening you frightening you into the curb. You know. Yeah, because yeah. that'll keep you more careful in future about not getting even remotely in the way of the the uh, big hulking SUV. Yeah. Well, ah. I was saying to Nola Brooks in the kitchen because she was in the building today and uh, before the show that yeah. um, <clears throat> we're talking about this very thing and um, how you know where I live. In fact, um, if cars park both sides, you can't get two through, and with a bike, it can often mm. get. So who gives way first? And mm. at least I wave if a car gives way and you know thank them. And I think. If I if 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 I've given way to a car, mm. often they just ignore you. But mm. I pointed out to her, and this probably answers Corey's point. Yeah. I reckon the old scientific I've said it on air before, but the old scientific campaign to to create invisibility mm. is easily solved. Just jump on a push bike and ride up a main street, and no one sees you. You are mm. totally invisible mm. to all cars. Mm. So what? that's that's the answer, Corey. So so they they should, they should, they could. Um, NASA could start worrying about invisibility cloaks and things yeah, like that. Just get on a bike. Get on a bike. Yeah. Yep. Um, That's right. yeah. Take the Herald Sun editorial <laughs> on your bike. Trucks and bikes have been together on the road for, you know, yeah. m- many moons, yeah. shall we say. Yeah. Why haven't they just made the roads wide enough to, you know, uh, give enough room for both at once? Well, often they can't really, can they? Because of the... Because of the, the roads sort of fixed fixed width from when it was built a hundred years ago and things like that. Mm. But a lot of the road, particularly in the urban, a lot of the roads and lanes were made for horses. Yeah, um, mm. and the old cars oh, came yeah. along. Oh yeah, sure. I've yeah. also noticed this funny thing um, when I'm a pedestrian and mm. it starts raining. People in their cars seem to um, speed up as soon as it starts raining. Mm. Which seems very illogical to me because a they're actually dry because they're inside a car, mm-hmm. and um, B, they're much less patient with waiting for you to uh, cross the road or get through in any way, which you know sucks for you because you're, sure, you yeah. know you're the one actually getting you're rained getting on. Getting exposed yeah. when you're waiting for waiting for the, your turn. Right. Yeah. So you're sucking in more ways than one, really. Aren't yeah. you? <laughs> and C, it seems to be um, less safe to speed up when you're driving a car in the rain. You you would oh. think that people would want to slow down for everyone's well, safety. Well. Uh, the claim is made, though, that the road system does clog up when it gets mm. wet, that people do get more hesitant, but, but that's not your experience. Mm. No, not where you're concerned. They seem to be driving yeah. at you more with I more. I think main, main roads do tend to get more, more um, bumper-to-bumper, etc., yeah. more congested. Yeah. But, I but, think they yeah. clog up because people are less patient. Uh-huh. Mayhaps. Whatever, whatever that's mm. what happens, yeah. It's, mm. But I, I also think there's a completely different psychological mindset, if that's not a tautology, um, 
between pedestrians, cyclists and motorists and the same person as a pedestrian has a different attitude mm. when it, when they're a cyclist yeah. and a different attitude when they're a motorist yeah, to I, all the others. I think that's right, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, you know, I try to remember when I'm driving what it's like to be a pedestrian and try do my damnedest to be as, you know, discreetly, I mean, un-aggressive um, as I can, yeah. Um, the thing that really strikes me, though, is is the way traffic traffic lights work. And traffic lights always work. The pedestrian gets the leftover, mm-hmm. the leftover bits. Mm. Um, and, of course, it's the pedestrian who's standing there on the edge of the curb getting exposed to all the fumes of the vehicles going past and the noise and the blah, blah, blah. And the rain. And the rain if it happens to be wet, yeah. But... But none of none of those issues seem to be taken into account when they actually set up the way the traffic lights work. They're, they're set up to, to get the maximum out of the roads for the cars and to hell with, to hell with the amount of time that pedestrians have to wait mm. to cross the road. And in a lot of inner, inner city intersections, at least particularly, you'll find that there are more people on foot waiting to use the intersection as a pedestrian than there are cars going through. You know, this is a radical thought that that nobody really likes to admit, but it's often the case. Mm. There are more people as pedestrians. Now, Mm. Now, if their time is as valuable as the time of people in cars, there should be a limit to up to which the the cycles can be manipulated, the traffic light cycles can be manipulated to the benefit of the cars because it always means that pe- people on foot wait longer. But we don't seem to have any rules like that in Melbourne. You know, there's no, there's, there's no um, out in the open, discreet, um, you know, rules well, that say yeah. this is how things, will, things won't be, pedestrians won't be made to wait longer than this at an intersection because... because um, it would suit the big roads to make the the cycles that the traffic lights even longer. But where there's service roads and a main road in the middle or something, or Alexandra Parade's mm. a good example, yes. uh, since they turn it into a freeway. Mm. Um, Takes forever. Unless you're, you're Usain Bolt, there's no way you can mm. get right across on one light change. Mm. So you get halfway across, then you've got to stop again and wait mm. for the next light change. And given that the, the, you know, they're designed for the cars, you've got to wait about what seems like five minutes. Mm. It's probably 90 seconds or two minutes it's or something. Probably, I think it can be up to three minutes to get Whatever, across. But, yeah. you know, so you, yeah. you, but if a car's yeah. held up for three minutes, they call that. That's a severe congestion. Oh, of course, yes. <laughs> I think that it's interesting the way that, um, you know, given especially global warming, the yeah. way that bad behaviour is rewarded. Because mm. if you're a pedestrian or a cyclist, you know, you're using public transport, you're taking up fuel That's resources, right. blah, blah, blah. But, you, you, you know, you never get rewarded for that. No, you're, well, you're an active, active tra- traveller. Mm. And that's... Um, that that does have all sorts of virtues, yes, because you get some. You actually do get some exercise out of it. Mm, mm. Uh, Sometimes I wonder whether or not um, cyclists live longer because of all the exercise, or live shorter lives because they keep getting hit by cars. Yes, and, and also breathing in all those terrible That's right. fumes. That's right. Well, there have been a few assessments of um, of the fumes fumes as a cyclist or fumes as a motorist inside your car. I'm trying to remember what the results were. I don't think. I don't think there was a lot of difference. I, in fact, I argued, in fact, on, on this program some years ago, I yeah. argued that cyclists were worse off because, you, you know, you're standing, sitting, say, at a thing and there's trucks there and yeah. the fumes are coming out. But Bicycle Victoria, whom we got on to talk about it, they claimed it's healthier on the bike than in the car. I can't work right. that out, but that's right. their claim. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
Should we go to a tractor break this up? Uh, well, we have got a lot of time left. We've got a few things we'd like yeah, to mention. We'll, we'll go do you mind if we keep we'll go going? Through. Yeah, we'll go through it. We'll go through it. The um, Mikey, John. Yeah, Mikey. Yeah. yeah. Story in the Herald Sun just um, yeah, yeah. on Sunday, in fact. Oh. Mikey users have been overcharged more than 48,000 times since the embattled smart card was used. One woman... Uh, I reckon it's more than that. One woman checked her uh, balance and found that she was minus, uh, minus 1.2 million. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, no, hang on. That, um, that's 1.2 million each year. No, she wasn't. She was minus 2.7 million. In June, a Melbourne commuter was shocked to find her Mikey had been overcharged by almost $2.7 million. <laughs> She tweeted the mistake, which saw her Mikey balance go millions of dollars into debit and thought about ringing up to complain, but feared she would just be put on hold. Um, that's all. That's, that's, but it's, oh, the story goes on, but it, yeah, there's yeah. heaps of mistakes. There don't seem to be too many mistakes where you can undercharge. But, um, oh, yeah, no. No, no, no. No, no. no uh, yeah. Well, Mikey continues to be Mikey, yeah. Um, I'd like to mention this business of um, the state government. On two occasions now, they've pulled what were going to be changes to the timetables for... Um, and one was the regional rail link timetables, that there were going to be changes. And the government pulled pulled the changes and said, no, we won't make those changes. And then again, more recently, the, the, the Frankston line, the metro, um, the timetables were going to be changed so that all Frankston line trains only went direct to Flinders Street and Southern Cross and didn't go around the loop. And this was part of... Yeah part of a long-term program to smooth out the way the train services operate so that the um, well so that they operate more efficiently and, and, and they can squeeze through. more trains yep. through yeah yeah yep, yep. <coughs> so the um, people on the Frankston line started screaming about this change because they didn't like losing all their trains to the loop but um, uh, so the minister as I said pulled the um, pulled the changes and said, "Go back and go back and redo them, and somehow or other um, keep keep some of the Frankston line trains going through the loop." Trouble is that those sort of changes are going to have to be made in the future to smooth out the way the system operates, and you've got to have a system where people have got to be more prepared to interchange between services at at main main stations, say like Caulfield or South Yarra, and things like that. Um, it's the only way to make a highly functioning metro-style system work. You can't, you can't have trains running to lots of destinations and lots of um, 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 origins on the same line. They've really got to run all back and forth, back and forth on that line. And if you want to get off that line, you've got to interchange. And if you go to the big metro systems around the world, that's what happens in the central yeah. centre of Paris or the centre of London or the centre of anywhere. You have to, and as you long know. as you're in the need of change, it's so frequent that you that's haven't got right. to wait. I mean, that's, the, that's the problem that's in right. Melbourne often. And that's been the problem in Melbourne, yes, <laughs> that, the, that the services, particularly off-peak, have been... Have been um, I mean, often they've been pretty bad on-peak too, Kevin, on the upfield line being an example. Mm. But, yeah, it's, the, the trains have got to be very frequent. And you've also got to build the, build the stations to make interchange easy. And our, our stations, many of them haven't had a upgrade, proper upgrade for 50 years, mm. and they need a lot more, um, a lot more escalators and a lot more um, protection against the weather and things like that. Uh, Richmond stations are probably a prime example. 
London mm-hmm. stations are shocking, though. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I've been in London stations where you have to walk up 300 stairs yeah. and you think, oh, yeah. how's someone with a disability going to do this? Yeah. Or, you know, there'll be one elevator and 5,000 yeah. people. Yes. <laughs> what feels like 5,000 people. Right. Yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm, not, I'm not saying that they're in any way perfect, but, but they're 100-year-old. They're hundred year old systems, mm. yeah, and um, they are doing a lot, a lot to try and improve them. Mm. But yeah, they've got they've got huge, huge problems, um, and I think we need to recognise that we're moving in that moving in that direction. That we we are going to have to run a metro system, not just a suburban rail system that that, that um, just just handles a few people going going to and from work. Mm. So yeah, I, look, I've got sort of sympathy for the Frankston Line people, but on the other hand, um, it's it's the sort of thing that's going to have to happen. But as you were saying earlier off air, John, yeah. when the Frank, because of the the, the importance of that line electorally yes. to state governments, yes. uh, when they start screaming, state governments jump. So instead, instead of saying, "Look, this is really better for everybody," yeah. they backed off. Yeah, but of course, another thing that never happens is that none of this stuff is ever talked about in a broad, a broad sense. There's never any, you know, consultation or it's um, everything's all just sort of served up. Um, um, you know, out of nowhere, it seems. It seems you know, there's no real, there's no real backstory. The other thing that's going on is the, um, the idea that the um, Turak uh, tr- road tram 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 eight, I think it is, mm. will be di- will be diverted at Domain to go into the city by William Street, and go north that way, and that means that anybody on the Turak Turak tram that wants to go go up. Um, up St Kilda Road or um, Swanson Street will need to to interchange at Domain, and once again, this is being seen as a an outrage. You know that 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 any any um, tram line should not, as it always has gone. You know, go up St Kilda Road and um, Swanson Street. Trouble is, yeah. you can't you can't run all your trams up Swanson Street. We've got the biggest heavy, you know heavy duty tram tram route in the world probably on Swanson Street. And it really is time to to spread the trams out across the the CBD, mm. um, and that's one area where they are so regular that you wouldn't have to wait very long because yeah. there's so many lines come up and down there. Well, again, that's the argument. But again, you'd like to think it would still be the case at eleven o'clock at night. If you're going. Well, yeah, eleven at night, that might be a yeah. problem. Yeah, um, um, but but again, you see, if you're if you're on Turak Road, it, it might be that it might make a lot of sense to transfer to a train at South Yarra as your, as your tram goes past there, mm. as long as you could very quickly... wait quick... 20 minutes there instead of at the yeah. <laughs> Well, again, you see, you shouldn't have to. It should be a very quick escalator ride to the platform and then a, then a change to a train that'll mm. probably get you, get you into the city quicker than the tram... Well, certainly get you into the city quicker than the tram would. But 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 people maybe don't make those sort of interchanges in Melbourne, partly because so often people's experiences. If you start trying to interchange, you, mm. you find you just lose more time because the you, you find yourself waiting, you know, twenty minutes for a bus or something, even though it is a logical thing to do would be to change to the bus as long as the bus the bus arrive promptly, and even if it's supposed to arrive promptly, maybe it well, doesn't arrive on time. You know, so you're blown. So you've blown any of the benefits of interchange. So that's the background I think people are coming from too. That they don't like like the idea of um, of interchange mm. because they've had 
pretty bad experiences. Well, the other interchange that no longer can be used, of course, is at North Melbourne with that Geelong line because it doesn't even stop. It doesn't, well, doesn't, mm. not only doesn't stop there anymore, it doesn't go there anymore, it goes mm. around it. So that's right. That's a, that's a major error, I would have thought. Yes, yes. Well, I think, I think so too. It's, it's something the Public Transport Users Association hammered away at. Uh, from the earliest days of when they became aware of what the plan was for for the regional railing, but um, no no change was made. Um, I've looked at it, and it seemed to me that that that, that uh, the rail the rail lines could have been um, re- relayed in such a way that there there could have been a platform over on the RRL line that was linked by by a walkway onto the, into the present um, mm. North Melbourne station. Yeah. Well, but, we're going to have to say goodbye. Yeah, let's it's, yeah, let's oh, we are. Yes. play that bit of music we want to play. Yes. Um, so you've been listening to City Limits on 3CR 855 AM. We've had John McPherson as our main guest here. Transport Week. Oh, Transport and Week. And next week's Energy. Energy Week. Energy Week. Yes. And I don't no idea what's on Energy Week next week, Corey. Have you? No, I've got no idea. We'll work something out by then. Yeah, I'm sure we yeah. will. I'm yeah. sure we will. Hopefully. <laughs> um, yeah, and you might be listening on 3cr.org.au, and we're going to go out with a track. This is Railroad by the Zootons. Whoa. Choo choo music. Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia, on the Kulin Nation. For more information and to find out how you can support 3CR, go to www.3cr.org.au.